This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time now for the Therapeutic Green Room with psychologist Simi Desor. Welcome to the Therapeutic Green Room, the space in between where we can talk about concerns, worries, challenges, thoughts and joys with me, Simi Desor. I'm a registered psychologist working here in Christchurch, New Zealand, and today I want to talk about self-talk. Are you your worst critic or best friend? From birth to death, we live and grow with our own feelings and thoughts and our own voice. Healthy self-talk is a way to say, I matter. Let's explore what I mean by self-talk. Most of us are conscious of an inner voice that provides a running monologue on our lives throughout the day, and sometimes even in the wee hours of the night. This inner voice is what is referred to as our self-talk. The way we talk to ourselves is a combination of our conscious thoughts and also of our unconscious values, beliefs, biases, and ideas and feelings. This provides a way for our brains to interpret and process our day-to-day interactions and experiences. The way we talk to ourselves can be healthy and supportive on the one hand, or it can be negative and self-defeating on the other. Self-talk can be beneficial when it's positive because our inner voice can help us calm our fears and bolster our confidence. Unfortunately, we're all prone to negative self-talk. When we enter the negative self-talk arena, we say things like, I'm no good at this, I'm a complete failure, or I'll never be able to do anything worthwhile. Negative self-talk feeds mental distress. Things like anxiety and depression are intertwined with negative self-talk. So this is worthwhile as a topic to explore because healthy self-talk is a component of our well-being and good mental health. Is it okay to talk to yourself? Many people use self-talk, either internal or out loud, as a motivational tool. We see and hear athletes telling themselves that they can do it, and we hear people telling themselves that the exam will be okay or they can meet that deadline. Research shows that talking to ourselves can and is beneficial. It turns out that if people use the first person when talking to themselves before a task, they're less effective than those who speak to themselves in the second or third person. So, I can is outweighed by using your name or saying to yourself, you can. In a series of experiments, Ethan Cross found that the way that people conduct their inner monologues has an enormous effect on the success in life. If you talk to yourself with the pronoun I, for instance, you're likely to get flustered and not perform as well in stressful circumstances. But if you address yourself by your name, your chances of increasing your performance on some tasks from speech-making to self-advocacy 
can increase. While positive I statements are better than negative I statements, creating psychological distance in our self-talk by using your name or saying you can do it can help us calm down and face challenges in moments of distress or just moments in general. Pamela Weinthrop reasons that by toggling the way we address the self, first person or third, we flip a switch in the cerebral cortex, the center of thought, and another in the amygdala, the seed of fear, moving closer to or further from our sense of self and all its emotional intensity. So moving away from the I, which is more emotionally charged, to your name or to the pronoun you takes you to a more rational part of your brain. Gaining psychological distance enables self-control, allowing us to think clearly and perform competently. The language switch also minimizes rumination after we complete a task, and rumination is part and parcel of anxiety and depression. Rumination is the flip side of positive self-talk. It happens when you replay upsetting or cringeworthy thoughts or events over and over again in your head. Thinking through a problem can be useful, but if you spend a lot of time ruminating and overthinking, small issues tend to snowball. Constant rumination can make you more likely to experience depression or anxiety. But when we are released from negative thoughts, we gain perspective, focus deeply, and plan for the future. Scientists studying the inner voice say it takes shape in early childhood and continues as a lifelong companion and creative muse of sorts. It is so intimate, so constant, says British psychologist Charles Fernhow, that self-talk can be considered thought itself. We can hear this self-talk and thought when we watch toddlers, for example. Their self-talk is conducted out loud as a self-instruction as they coach themselves through a task. It's like a verbal instruction manual, a self-generated roadmap to mastery. Their voice directs them to build Lego houses, sound out words and sentences in big letter books, and tell them how to build castles and sand pits. Fernhouse suggests that putting our thoughts into words gives them a more tangible form which makes them easier to use. It's not simply mechanical or instructional thought. We also process our inner thoughts and worlds and even feeling out loud when we're children and trying to process things out around us. My four-year-old, for example, often chatters about everything she's doing, thinking, and feeling, and checks in with me from time to time as I listen in the background. Lev Vygotsky spoke about the zone of proximal development. This is the realm of challenges just beyond reach, too complex for a child to master alone, and this is where a learning partnership with an adult helps children develop their skill and their voice. But as time goes on, the chattery voice becomes internalized. So I was working with a group of young people some time ago when we were playing a game. Throughout the game, one boy who wasn't doing very well in the game kept saying, I'm no good at games. I'm slow and always lose. 
We kept playing and I was coming last. I realised he kept looking at me as I kept saying, slow and steady wins the race. He went quite well for a while. Eventually, he won the game. After the game was packed away and we were all leaving the room, I heard him whisper, slow and steady wins the race, as if he was trying it out. He nodded a little and smiled. I wondered afterwards if his internal dialogue had begun to shift just a little. I saw him the following week, and sure enough, he asked if we could play the game. I asked why, and he said, I'm a little slow, but slow and steady wins the race, right? He had begun to reframe his negative self-talk when it came to that game. As a psychologist, an educator, and a mum, I was reminded again about the impact of that partnership we have with each other in terms of our well-being and growth. As the week wore on, my busyness was at an all-time high. But I had that young person's voice in my head as he said, slow and steady, eh, Simi? So both of us seemed to have benefited from the partnership of play that week. As parents, as educators, and me as a psychologist, Every day, the opposite is also true. If we're judgmental, we close off that chatter or respond negatively in that partnership. We can turn each other's talk into negative self-talk. In school, for example, I remember being told by a maths teacher that I was terrible in maths and would always fail. I continued that dialogue into adulthood and had to challenge it at university when I needed to take a statistics course to become a psychologist. The thought of a university-level maths course terrified me, but the determination of getting my qualification took over, and I'm sure after countless internalized self-talk hours, a lot of work, I went along slow and steadily, and I passed with an A grade. So, how can you make your self-talk work for you? Firstly, begin with awareness of your internal dialogue. What is your self-talk? When is it happening and what are you saying to yourself? Are you personalizing things? Are you magnifying the negative and minimizing the positive? Are you catastrophizing and expecting the worst? Or are you able to use logic and reason to look at things differently? Are you polarizing? So seeing the world as good or bad and not seeing the middle ground in terms of life events and feelings. If you monitor yourself regularly, then you will recognize it when you are allowing yourself talk to become critical and unhelpful. When this happens, research shows we become less successful at finding creative solutions for problems. This can lead to self-doubt and others may come to doubt you as well. Correcting your self-talk when it's not constructive can keep it focused on boosting you. If you've got a large task to do but are struggling with the thought, you could begin by naming yourself and specifically setting the direction. For example, you could say, Faye, you can do this one step at a time. In this way, you're reframing your thoughts, you're chunking the task into smaller bite-sized bits, and you're also directing yourself on how to move forward. Secondly, when self-talk focuses on how we can thrive, not just survive, 
it can provide essential motivation to achieve goals. Self-talk that helps us take a wider view of our lives and opportunities rather than narrowly focusing on threats and self-talk that acknowledges and directly addresses our doubts and fears is shown to promote happiness, well-being, and success. So saying, you can do this to yourself, and adding, you'll feel fantastic when you're finished, is self-talk that's moving you towards thriving. Thirdly, you can distract yourself and then redirect your thoughts if you're caught in negative thought loops and negative self-talk. One way of doing this is by finding something humorous to focus on, such as a funny movie. Another way to distract yourself for a short period is by shifting your focus away from yourself and towards others or the world at large. Research shows you are more likely to be able to ignore or turn off your self-criticism and become more patient, self-compassionate, and open to self-improvement or seeking help from others. You then can come back to yourself and tell yourself to be calm because in the greater scheme of things, the task isn't as big as it's feeling at the moment. Fourthly, when you are calmer and able to move from your survival or emotional brain to your thinking brain, you can become the detective and ask yourself, is my negative self-talk real? What would a friend say What would I say to a friend if I heard them saying this to themselves? What evidence is there to the contrary? For example, when you think I'm not competent or I'm not lovable, can you think of an accomplishment that relates to your competence? Can you think of people who've loved you? Or if you think I can't do anything right, can you think of something you have done that was okay? then replace exaggeratedly negative thoughts with more realistic statements that move you towards self-acceptance and a bit more confidence. Such as, you've done amazingly well in maths before, you can do the same at work. Then replace exaggeratedly negative thoughts with more realistic statements that move you towards self-acceptance and self-confidence. These can be something like, You've done amazingly well in maths before. You can do the same at work as well. Number five, another way of dealing with negative self-talk and shifting it to being healthier is through affirmations. Affirmations are very efficient defocusers that help us to avoid the tunnel vision that threats encourage. In one study, researchers set up Ivy League students to fail a test and prepped some of them with affirmations like, I feel proud, and I currently feel confident. After they all failed the fake test, the ones who were using affirmations reported a better sense of self-worth, even though the affirmations had nothing to do with their intelligence. The team reported that self-affirmations broadened perspective bolstering self-worth but undoing an otherwise constricted perspective under threat. The test takers felt proud and confident and failure in one test didn't define them because they had a bigger and better way to define them. So bolstered by an affirmation or two, we can more easily transcend a threat and see ourselves more fully. I was working with a woman last year who kept saying she was no good at her job. 
and she was an awful daughter. We worked on a couple of affirmations. She chose, I'm on fire, and I feel good. And she tried them for a day. At the end of the day, she reported feeling much better. A week later, she said she'd still been using the two affirmations. A few months later, we could still tap into those two affirmations when she began to think negatively. So once practiced, they became part of her repertoire, and they continued to assist her feeling better. So as you go through this week, I invite you to become more aware of your internal and external self-talk. Is your self-talk helpful or unhelpful? Is it developing your self-confidence and sense of self-worth or not? If your self-talk is negative, how could you shift it? If it's positive, how could you improve it? Your self-talk will be with you for the rest of your life. In your self-talk, are you your worst critic or best friend? Healthy self-talk takes practice if it's not your natural way of thinking. But you can learn to shift an internal dialogue to be more encouraging and uplifting. It's about listening to what you're saying to yourself with awareness, challenging your self-talk, and then actively working on changing your self-talk. My hope for us all is that we can all learn to grow our self-talk so that we are our best friends more and more, and we can learn to encourage ourselves and each other with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We need to be kind to ourselves and each other, because in kindness and through compassion, we will find our individual and collective strength. Thank you for connecting with me today. Be well, and I hope you go well. Bye.